welcome back. Good to see you. How you doing, man? Yeah, you too. You too. It's good, mate. Part two on its on its way. Hmm. Yeah. Let's um. Let's do it. How's uh? Yep. Before we get get going, out. Good weekend. Get up to much. Haven't done much at all, mate. Weather's been pretty, pretty decent, like. But um, no, I haven't done much at all. Just a, a steady one, really. Yeah. Delicious weather yeah. down south. Lovely stuff. It's been a bit cloudy. It's sun's coming out now, but it's a bit late for that now. But it's been a bit <laughs> cloudy today. Yesterday was glorious. About 20, 21 degrees, which yeah, is nice. Today was ridiculous. I had a, I've been at a uh, football tournament all morning for uh, for the youngest. And yeah, fucking. But yeah, last night we had a good, uh, good night out. Beer and gin festival. Nice. It was lovely. Nice. Got eaten alive. This morning. Fucking midges. Absolutely. <laughs> fucking fights all over me. But that nah, was really good. It was really good. Really good. You you good. must have put um, a few things like that on in your time running the pub, or was that not a? No, we didn't. We didn't really. Um, I've been to lots. I've been to loads. I gig because I've obviously got the band as well. So um, I do a lot of gigging at beer festivals. I've got my own beer as well. Um, with the band, we've got a, a beer plug, brewed for us. We do plug it. We plug do a lot. <laughs> yeah, bootlegger, bootlegger pale ale brewed by Hamilton Brewery up in North Yorkshire. Absolutely. Pale ale. Yeah, we've got a pale ale um, in a cask, and then we've got an IPA in a bottle, which you can buy um, from their website. Five hundred ml bottles, really nice beer, five percent. Blows your socks off. It's nice, nice and crafty. Um, so yeah, done a lot of beer festivals, usually with the band and and gigging, um, but no, never had any at the pub. Um, no, it wasn't really the. What was it like running the pub? What was it like running the pub? You know what? It was. It was one of those things where, whilst I was in it, loved it. Thought this is brilliant because it's it's a lifestyle. It's um, yeah. You know the social side of it's really good. Um, Absolutely loved it, but when it went tits up, and then when I came out the other end, about two weeks after leaving the place, you couldn't have paid me enough to go back. Yeah, it's 24 7, 24 7, 365 days a year. You can't relax, you can't switch off. Even if you go for a break, you're worried about what's going on and what yeah. the take ins are, and has there been any trouble? So, you, you've got to be committed, you've got to be willing to give up your life, um, or to make it your life. So it was hard work. It was it was tough, probably tougher than than being in the police. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Like just seeing that, like pub owners, they always look like friendly and jolly most of the time, and then occasionally you catch them when they're like the reality, like reality side, and they're just like, mm. oh, they've got like the weight of the world on them. Oh, it's a tough game. It's I mean. I'm glad I got out of it before COVID hit because I'd hate to think oh, what yeah. the stress on that gone through over the last year. It's it's a tough game. People's drinking habits have changed in the last. I mean, so the pub I took on, I, I moved in there 2004 with my parents. My parents had it for 12 years, 10 years. My parents had it for no 12 years um, before I took it on. And that's the reason when I left the police and took it on, it was because it was just good time. I wanted to be out the cops. They were thinking about retiring and, and having an easy life. So yeah, yeah. 
it was just a good time, a good opportunity. Um, and in that time, so from 2004 to I left the pub in 2017, people's drinking habits have changed massively. Nobody drinks anymore. People can't afford to yeah, drink anymore. You tend to find people are drinking more at home. Yeah. Like getting the beers in instead. Yeah. A buddy Much of mine, more affordable. Don't blame him. Yeah, a buddy him. of mine doesn't doesn't really drink it out, but he's got... Well, he rates... He rates, Speaking of your beer now as well. So he rates craft beers. And he does it all on yeah. Instagram and stuff like that. He's got a fucking hell of a following, to be fair. And all he does is like mm. post a picture of a beer and this is what <laughs> he thinks of it. But, yeah, yeah it's... You're right. Like to be fair, apart from last night, I I tend to. Well, we have a couple on a Friday after football training. Um, we'll go and have a little like social little tipple Guinness or something. Yeah. But other than that, I I tend to not drink throughout the week, especially yeah. now that football season's completely over. It's like. Mm. Well, that's the other thing as well. So when I took the pub on, it was it been a sports pub. When my parents had it, they made it you know, a sports pub. And so it'd been a sports pub for 12 years. I took it over. And um, it, it stayed a sports pub for about 18 months. But then people started getting Sky packages at home and going, yeah. oh, I go to the pub and spend 50 quid drinking all day when I can just get Sky at home and get a few yeah. cans. Um, which, at the time, pissed me off. But now looking back, I think I'm not blaming whatsoever. Because that's, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Massive, massive hypocrite there. I, I, I but yeah, around my father-in-law's. <laughs> still so, from his beer so that, that, that sort of side of it, that sports side of it, was becoming a tough game. It used to just be yeah, you've got but, Sky Sports on. Yeah, BT generally sports it must be difficult laughing. for the sports bars these days, unless they're playing. Um, unless people were going there for the atmosphere, the pub atmosphere. And that's it. I remember about the different drinking habits. I remember going out with my old man back home like every Tuesday or Wednesday night or Monday night football, things like that. You'd, yeah. you'd, go, you'd go down the pub because didn't didn't really fancy watching it in the house. Plus, my yeah. mum didn't really want the football on. She wanted Corrie on or something. Um, <laughs> so we'd, we'd go down the pub and watch the football and then stumble home later. Or, or, or yeah. continue it in, into the nightlife. Well, I can't even remember the last time I even went out properly, like nightclubbing or even like nightclubbing. Fucking that sounds mm. disco dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down to local disco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down to the discotheque. Can't remember. Generally, can't remember. No, no it's that's it. People's habits have changed. It's um, it's much more expensive to go out drinking and. I mean, don't get me wrong, massive supporter of, of the local boozers and that's like, as a band, that's what we stand for. We're all about mm. supporting the local pubs um, and, and the live music scene because that's what we, so we sort of merged from a sports pub uh, to a music pub because that's what people were coming out for more and more. Um, but even yeah, you that... You can't beat a live band as well, mind. A, lo- a live band and a few drinks. They had a yeah. decent band last night at the, beer, at the beer festival. Reptilia, I think their name were. They did... All different sort of indie rock sort of music, mm. music that I sort of grew up with, and I was like, yeah. "This is a fu- this is this is proper like none of this cheesy bullshit that you hear yeah, yeah. all the time." This was Ed a- Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got a wrong with the ginger wizard, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we 
we've got a rule. So we got, we're only a duo, but our, our strap lines, like, we're called the bootleggers. So the bootleggers, not your average acoustic duo, because we use looping stomp boxes and yeah. harmonicas and stuff. So it really sort of get, get things going. And um, we've got a rule. We always set out the rules at the start of every gig. We say, right, we'll take, we've got a massive set list. We play for three hours. So it's not this two 45 minute sets and off we go. We, we play for three hours every time. We've got a massive set list. But if you've got a request, you know, feel free to ask for it and we'll try and blag it if we can. Three yeah. rules, no Ed Sheeran, no George Ezra, and no Oasis, because they're, they're the three bands, all acoustic acts, all across the country play. They always do Oasis, they always do Ed Sheeran, they always do George Ezra. Um, and nothing wrong with any of them, but everyone ah, George, does it, so we try and steer away. I'm not a George Ezra, he can eat up. Ed Sheeran, I like Ed Sheeran, but again, I find a lot of his songs are quite, you know, emotional. Lovely dairy yeah. club songs. When you're in the pub, you don't really want. <laughs> yeah, it's not a not a Saturday night out. Oasis, kind of guy, you know, it? you can't go wrong with Oasis. But I can see your point. Like, yeah, everybody does it. You, the amount of times I go see an acoustic band or even a full band or an acoustic act, and it's always maybe you're gonna be the one that's yeah. like, Oh, fucking hell, here we go again. <laughs> but, but it's also they. It's like when they cover it as well. They cover it. They they don't put their own spin on it. They try and oh, they, they always try and do with their voice. So come on, just <laughs> do better, guys. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our that's our rule. We 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 try and steer away from the stuff everybody else does. It's worked well for us for the last eight years. So it's um it's going well, mate. Like Sounds so. like it's going Nothing really well. well. It's all right. <laughs> for the UK or is it just up north? We'll go wherever people want us if they're willing to cop up that, pay, but, that people. But... We'll, we'll get the we'll get the bootleggers yeah. down to uh, the Gallagher Stadium on the second of July. They can perform at halftime. We'll play wherever <laughs> anyone wants us. Um, yeah, it's it's a. I mean, music as well. The music scene's a tough gig these days because venues don't want to pay. The thing is, venues can't afford to pay acts what they're worth. People can't afford to go out. It's a it's a cycle. So that's why we're very much in support of the local boozers and say right. You know, this is a cycle. You come out and watch live music. That keeps the pubs going. That gives us somewhere to play and do what we love to do on a weekend. And it, the cycle continues. The minute you take any part of that away, it all falls apart. And who wants a life without a local boozer? Not me. No, there's something special about a, a local boozer. Definitely. Mm. Definitely something special about it. Just the characters that go in there, I find. You get fucking yeah. dribs and drabs in your... Witherspoons and whatnot, but a local pub, you'll have, you'll have you'll have the the local pisshead that goes in. Everyone knows him. He has his own seat, yeah. his own his yeah. own glass. <laughs> fucking brilliant, mate. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. So obviously, when you um, yeah, I take it you had a few issues with the pub because obviously you had a bit of a a downward spiral yeah. after. So yeah, so. If we go back to so well, part one of the podcast, we, we sort of ended with me taking time off um, from yeah. the police. And um, so it was during, during that time off, I'd just shot six months off um, to, to fix my mental health. And um, went back. Uh, and it was just different. I thought, I was well, I was definitely ready to go back. So before you go back, I had to go and have an appointment with occupational health and just get, get the all clear to make sure yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to you know, do anything stupid on shift or I wasn't a liability and stuff. Um, still had all the financial issues that we, we talked about in, in part one. 
but everything else, you know, I've really got a, gr a grasp of my mental health and, you know, the steps I'd followed and, and got myself to where I needed to be to, to fix things. I was, I'd built a lot of resilience. I was, I felt really mentally strong. Um, just went back to work, but there was still that. I remember going back in, uh, I think I mentioned it in, in the first part, but when I went back to work, me, um, me inspect, I hadn't heard from the inspector for the whole time I was off and he called me into his office and said, um, how are you feeling? Yeah, good boss. Um, glad to be back. I said, but I thought I'd have heard of you, heard from you at some point over yeah, the last six weeks. He just says, oh, yeah, I don't really get all this mental health stuff, um, all that kind of shit. It just, so I just thought it'd be best if I didn't bother contacting you. So that was the kind of environment I went back to and yeah. sort of my mates, you know, you had a bit of banter and a bit of wind up with your mates, but then the, the ones who were on a different team and stuff were, every, people just treat you differently or trod on eggshells around you and that's the last thing you want. Um, so I went back and I reckon about three, four months in, I thought, nah, this is, I'm done with the job. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just not up to it anymore and didn't, my heart wasn't in it. Um, so I decided to leave and like I said, it was just good timing. I was, I already had it in my mind that I was going to leave. My mum and dad were talking about leaving their pub and um, it would have broken my heart to see them walk away from the pub because one, I'd have had no decent pub to drink in <laughs> yeah. on, on my days off and two, it'd been, it'd been my life for 12 years. And that was, yeah. Although I was in the place, I still helped them run it. We looked after it when they went on holiday and stuff. So it was a big part of my life. Um, so I decided, well, that's it. Pop me notice in and I'll take on the pub. Um stupidly really and that hopefully my dad doesn't listen to this because i'm going to admit he was right <laughs> but he uh <laughs> he, he tried he tried to talk me out of it he was saying you know the pub's not doing as well as you think it is it's, it's really hard work um you're struggling with your money anyway and if, if unless you've got a load of money to plow into it it's just not worth it anyway i was like yeah yeah whatever dad don't, yeah. don't worry about I'm me sorry, dad. I'm, I'm gonna do what i want to do <laughs> So we, yeah, we, we arranged to take over. It was with a, a brewery, a, a pub company. So it wasn't like a, we didn't own it outright. The, it was our business, but the, the pub itself was owned by a pub company. And they're, they're just greedy, robbing bastards anyway. Yeah, yeah, I bet they are. Um, the, more, the, the better you do, the more your rent goes up and the prices go up. When things are times are harder, there's very little they'll do to support you. So we went in, took it over. Um... And yeah, I'd say for the first, we moved in fully in 2014, signed it over to us at the beginning of 2014, and we left middle of 2017. So for the first two years, things were really good. Business was on the up. The, the changes we made from a sports pub to a music <laughs> pub were really, really successful. Um, loads of live music. We had live music every single weekend. It was just really, really doing well. And I was thinking, oh, fucking takings are great. Brilliant. Yeah. And then it got to back end of 2016 um so we we've got a race course here where i live and it's all race season's always really busy um and every year the busiest race season of the day we always had three coaches of, of race course so you're talking 150 200 people guaranteed to descend on the pub on this particular day yeah. massive day where you got loads of beer in took probably a month's worth of takings in the space of uh in the space of one day that's how busy it was nice. Looking great there however 2016 turned up the, the, the night before this busiest race day. A load of wagons and diggers and fucking highway maintenance start pulling up outside of the pub, closing the road off, blocking my car park off. Fuck off. Fuck's, 
what's going on here? So I go outside and says, lads, what are you doing? Oh, just blocking the road off, mate. You know, we've got digging road up. We've got to do gas works. And so, what are you on about? I've got some one-way roads as well. I've got three coaches blocked in here tomorrow morning. Oh, I don't think so, mate. You won't be getting any coaches down here. <laughs> you fucking commit. Oh, you should have got a letter. There's no one written to you. And I told you the road's closed for a week. <laughs> so I'm just there. I'm like, I can't fucking believe this. There's no, there was nowhere like to to get in touch with the coaches and stop them and yeah. said, don't come here. There was nowhere to park up and, and offload so they could come to the pub. So we lost, like I say, a month's worth of takings we, we would have expected to take that day. But we'd already paid for all the stock. We bought all the beer in, we bought wow. the bottles. We, we'd paid for everything. So you kind of break yourself because you know you're going to make it and a lot more back. And we were fucked. So I went on a massive sort of campaign then against the council and highway maintenance trying to get compo out of them say look you fucked me up you haven't written to me you've not prepared me you've ruined my business and anyway i lost all the money thousands and thousands of pounds gone the brewery just went oh well can't do that about it you still need to pay for your delivery yeah cheers um, it's easy yeah so we were broke all the, all the money that we did have had been ploughed into parts of the pub to do it up and then the money for this for the stock and the delivery so in a nutshell we went into a business with not enough money and we fucked it. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was poor business. A lot of lessons learned. But at the end of the day, it skinned us. And that was the start of the end, really. We um, we had no money left. We were constantly robbing from Peter to pay Paul, having to borrow or get sort of uh, stock on tack, uh, on tick, sorry, from the... Uh, never ending. Get, never it on, ending. get it on tick from the brewery. Yeah, we're off the brewery. Then you've got to pay it back. Then your rent goes up. It was just an endless cycle. So we just thought, you know, I've got two young kids. Um, I'm not going to go to the bank and ask for a business loan and stuff to keep a bit of pub float. Like, yeah. It just isn't worth keeping a float. Um, footfall was was dropping. People weren't drinking anymore. Everyone had gone and got Sky Sports at home. So yeah. <laughs> that wasn't paying for itself anymore. You can't compete with supermarkets when they're flogging three crates for 20 quid and you're not yeah, trying exactly. to flog a bank for yeah. a fiver. So. It was just got to a point when I said, enough's enough. We have to call it a day. Um, and did it too late. I should have done it six months previously, but kind of had false hope. Hindsight is a good thing, though, isn't it? It is, mate. It is. But you know what? Every Everything happens for a reason. A lot of lessons learned. A lot of resilience built. But it fucked us big time. We um, When we came to leaving, so when you take on a pub through a pub company, you've got to put a load of money aside for fixtures and fittings. You've got to buy the fixtures and fittings and then sell them back. Um, you've got the stock and everything so when you leave you can sell the stock minus anything you still owe the brewery um, you can sell you sell your fixtures and fittings so they get evaluated and you get all that money back but the problem was because I took it on from my mum and dad oh, yeah, <laughs> it was their money so all that money for the fixtures and fittings the thousands of pounds that I would have got for me went straight to them um, and they needed that to because they live yeah, abroad they needed yeah. that to pay off their debts so tough fucking out. So it literally left us with no money um, and no clue what to do. So if we consider a our sticky, joint... sticky situation, I bet the stress levels in the house was... It was, mate. And it was, I think if, if it had happened previously when I was really struggling with my mental health, it would probably been the tipping point for me. Yeah. Um, but... You think you sort of think, going through what you went through sort of give you a bit of like a calloused mind, you could say. Uh, yeah, as, as, I, our, say as our David Goggins would say. Absolutely. 
it was as calloused as Goggins's knee, um, <laughs> his, his dodgy knee that he keeps running on. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was the what I'd gone through and the, the things I'd put into the, the the steps I'd taken to get through my my depression and the resilience I'd built during that time. Absolutely paid dividends um, when it came to this bit because I was in a situation where I joined the police at eighteen. I've never I've never hunted for a job. I've never looked for work. I didn't know how to use Indeed and all them. Yeah. new fangled online sites that were out by that point. Um, I was, you know, I left left college, moved to the pub, ran uh, ran and, and worked at the pub for my parents and then joined the police. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do, yeah. what work I, I was capable of doing, what skills I had from the police. Um, and we didn't have anywhere to live. So we had, because we had no money, we couldn't just go and rent because two two grand plus just to get the keys and the yeah. deposits and all yeah, that. You go get the deposit, first month's rent. First, yeah. Last month's so, rent, whatever it is. Yeah. And we lived above the pub. So you lose the business, you lose your house. So we had, um, we were told we'd have six months when we handed our notice. And you got six months because we're going to put it on the market, we'll find a new landlord. Then they've got to go through all the process. You've got six months, so like, right, okay, that gives us time to start putting some money aside. And anyway, we didn't even get two months. Um, put our notice in, and I said, "We found somebody. How soon can you be out?" <laughs> I was like, you kidding me? Well, fucking um, six months, mate. <laughs> six, six months. Yeah, that's what we agreed. Um, but because of the clauses and agreements that we'd signed up to without even thinking about it and everything, it was um, we had to be out. So we got basically said, right, in four weeks, we need you to be out of the pub because we need to hand over. So I had four weeks with a pub that wasn't even bringing in. We weren't even breaking even each week, so there wasn't enough money. By that point, because we'd given up, we weren't stocking the shelves, we weren't stocking the fridges. We were keeping as much money as we could back. People had, people knew we were getting ready to close because we were quite frank and, and open and honest with everybody yeah. about what was going on. Um, so we were screwed. So, yeah, so we got to a point where I thought I've never had to do it in my past. I've never sort of signed on, claimed dole or benefits, whatever, but we're going to have to see if we can get some help um, while I figure out what we're doing. So we got in touch with the council. Uh, first of all, went down to local estate agents and said, you know, what have you got available? We had, at the time, we had two, three dogs. Uh, three dogs. Getting a house with pets is a fucking nightmare. Um, so what have you got available? And prices for rentals were just absolutely astronomical and for somebody who <laughs> didn't have a penny to scratch his ass with to try and come up with two three grand yeah this wasn't going to happen so we got to the council said can you help us um probably the lowest point i've been in terms of my my self-pride and and not my you know my ego was taking a bit of a kick in having yeah, to go in good. my opinion i felt like i was going and begging for money and i didn't like yeah. it and that, that's not a slight to anyone who has to claim benefits because, you know, I know people absolutely need it and it's a vital lifeline for some people. But for me, having never had to do it, and I was probably bought into that whole stigma of, oh, if you're on benefits and you're, a, you know, lazy and shit, and that's not true. I know there's people who legitimately need it. Um, but at that time, that was my kind of opinion. And I just thought, this is fucking shit. I can't believe I'm having to come begging for money. So... Went to the council, asked if they could help, and it was round about the time all over the national press we were seeing stories about families being put into temporary accommodation yeah. um, on a on a not so temporary basis. You know, people spending eighteen months in a in a one bedroom bed sit. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember, yeah. And it was, so this was 2017. And yeah, the turnaround says, well, we've got nothing. We've got no um, social housing left. Everything's taken up. Um, we can put you in some temporary accommodation. So I asked what that was, and it was a, a bed sit. I said, well, there's me, my two kids, my wife, my three dogs. Yeah. Um, you can't put us all in a bed sit. So I said, well, you'll have to get rid of your dogs. There's, that's for starters, get rid of them. Yeah. So from that moment, it was heartbreaking as well because it's members of the family, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was never going to happen, and it never did happen. It was never going to happen. I said to the said oh, to my wife, good. "You, you and the kids go up the bed sit. If that's what it comes to, I'll stay. I'll live in the car with the dogs. I'm not getting rid of my dogs." So yeah, they said you'll have to get rid of your dogs. You'll have to um, move into this bed sit. Um, and I knew exactly the location we were talking about. It was just full of all the local dickheads, all the drug dealers and oh, it yeah. was just con- police were always around there there was always fights outside of it and I was like I can't fucking believe my life's come to this from from being you know professional police officer and serving you know s- serving the country but serving my, my local area serving the region yeah, yeah. and then you know serving queen and country in, in the fucking as far as a police mate. officer does to being a local businessman and having that sort of standing in the community to now having to moving to a bedsit, what the fuck? Um, and I was determined not to let that happen. I had a month to decide, do you want to or not? And I said, the, the only other alternative is to move to another place. It's a nicer property, but it's it's 30 mile away. And so would have meant Katie, my, my missus, she couldn't have got to work. Kids yeah. couldn't have got to school. So it was just, it was stupid. There was nothing available whatsoever. Um, and we weren't a high priority. On their on their list, it was like brothers, this, you know, family of four. Um, you're not a high priority. Two young kids. So I was fuming, you know. I, I could say a lot of things and, there, but I won't because I'll, I'll get cancelled. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, but people that listen will probably know what I'm going on about. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I, I asked for the, I asked for the list of. Well, how do you determine the priority? You know, what is a higher priority? And I mean, I got the list off them, and there was stuff on there that was legit. You know, women who were fleeing domestic violence, absolutely fine, not a problem with that. And then there was your usual, um, the usual stuff that everybody can make their own mind up about. Um, but one of the ones that really fucking knocked me was um, if you're a prisoner leaving prison, you automatically go to the top of the priority list. So I said, Simon, a minute, I'm a guy who just needs a bit of help and support to get back on his feet. I'm, I'm a young family. I've been a police officer for 10 years. Yet, you're saying if I'd have been a prisoner, coming out of prison, I could, go, I could go commit a crime now, go do six weeks in jail, come out and you'll give me a house, no problem. But here I am asking, begging you for the house and you've got nothing from me. They're like, yeah, that's that's just the way it works. It's government policy. Fucking so I was angry at the world, so angry with everybody. Backwards. It's fucked up, man. I was, I was angry power with everybody. That fucking in tune they can't they can't yeah. relate can they they've got no. no idea what it's like no idea no idea at all so I was yeah I was just angry with the world and I just thought you know what if one thing I've been preaching while I've been working on mental health is uh, if you need help don't be scared to ask for help don't be scared to speak up and just ask people and I thought fuck it I'm going to put my ego and my pride aside in fact it was my local estate agent that said to me 
when I, he, was, he was telling me about what I'd be entitled to in terms of benefits and support. And he said to me, have you worked your entire life? Yeah. Have you paid tax your entire life? Well, working life. Yeah. Right. Then fucking go and claim benefits. Go get some support. You need it. You you put your ego aside. Stop fucking pull your head out your ass and just go and take some money yeah. and some support while you need it. Until I can see why you didn't want to. I Genuinely, I can see why you didn't want to. Mm. If it ever happened to me, yeah, I'd be like, just... I ain't going to benefits. Yeah, it was just a pride thing. Yeah. Um, and it gets it gets worse. So I'll, I'll tell you about the other mess with benefits in a minute. But um, so after he said that, I just thought, you know what? Okay. So I made a video, posted it on all my social media, and just quite a heartfelt video of guys. You know, I've, I've worked, I've lived and worked in the community. I've, I've supported all the local charities. I've done X, Y, and Z. I, you know, if you've ever been in my pub, you know who I am. You know what I'm like. I need I need help. This is a situation we're in. We're being left with a few quid in our pocket, not yeah. enough to find anywhere to live. If there's anybody who knows of any private rentals um, and any jobs, can somebody please get in touch? And I put it out, cringing as I did it, as I clicked post, I was cringing like hell. Um, and within an hour, the community came together, really. Um, lovely lady in the local area came and, and said to me, look, I've got a house which I'm doing up, it's going on the market for rental with an estate agent um, in, a, in a couple of weeks. It's yours if you want it. Don't worry about the deposit and stuff. It's just, I'd, I'd like a, a a nice family to move into it. Um, so it's yours if you want it. So I fucking thank you. I mean, I don't believe in a higher power, but I was, I was yeah. thanking God that. So, sometimes um, there's something and you're like, oh, <laughs> there yeah. he is. <laughs> he's yeah. been shitting on me for there's months a... <laughs> <laughs> there's a song actually I was listening to it today just before this actually I don't know if you've ever heard of Jelly Roll no um, he's like an American sort of rapper does a bit of country rap he's really worth checking out you said before you, you like your country music at the yeah. minute he's worth checking out he's like an American rag and bone man but does a bit of country oh, and yeah. rap and yeah. does the stuff with Eminem but he's he's done a song called um, Favour and it's one of the lines in it is I only ever speak to God when I need a favour and now I need a favour. That was me right at that time. It always makes me think of that moment because I was like, oh, thank you, God, please. Now I just need a job. So anyway, um, the house was assured this is a long-term rent. We want people in there long-term because we bought we just bought this house. We spent a fortune done it up. We want you in there long-term. So I said, what, what, what are you talking to? Oh, at least five years. Oh, thank God. But yeah, brilliant. Got myself a little job working in an events company and, and doing recruitment for them. Um, and started getting my life built back up. Um, 18 months later, to the day, uh, sorry, a year later to the day, um, get a knock at my door and uh, it's the estate agent. Oh, hey, up, what's up? Oh, I need to give you this letter. All right, what is it? Uh, it's an eviction notice. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, yeah, your landlord's decided to sell the house, so um, we oh. need you out. <laughs> you fucking... Mate, I couldn't believe it. I, it was like you just come to the house and, and kicked me in the bollocks. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I couldn't speak. I was like, the fuck, she can't do that. She said five years. Yeah, I know, but, you know, needs must. She's got problems of her own. She needs to sell the house. I couldn't be angry. You know, she she was suffering financially herself and she had to sell a couple of properties and we were one of them. <laughs> that, but I, I was just... <laughs> She's suffering financially. She had to sell a couple of properties. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she she was moving to Australia, so she had to sell. 
she had three properties, one that she lived in and two that she rented out in the UK and one in Australia. So she was moving back to Australia and she had to sell all the UK properties. I said, so I can't, can't afford to buy it because I'm still on my ass. Um, and by this point, all the financial issues we'd had. So when I, in part one, when I was talking about couldn't get any financial support in the police because it's illegal, I'd lost my job. Obviously, I'd, I'd left the police by that point and uh, we'd taken on an IBA. So we'd left the pub with a fuckload of debt, 30, 40 grand's worth of debt. Um, with no job, no help. <laughs> um, so yeah, we ended up with an IBA. So there's no, there was no slush fund for me to dip into to pay for another rental. Again, back to square one. Um, and this time, it, it got right through to the point where, so when you get when you get evicted from a house, you get a month's notice. Um, that can be extended to two, so we extended it to two. And then, if you aren't out by then, they've then got to write to you again, and you get another month or two. I can't remember the exact timings, but it can keep keep getting extended until the point when fucking bailiffs turn up, I suppose. Um, so we went to the council again, cap in hand, and said we need somewhere to live. And it was the same story. There's no way available. You've uh, you've got to you've got to go um, on the list. You've got to bid for houses. Um, there isn't any, so it'd have to be temporary accommodation. Um, and you'll have to declare yourself homeless. So what the fuck? I can't do that. I've got. I'm just starting to get my life back on track. I'm starting to build yeah. things up and pay me debts. Well, no, you will have to class you as homeless. Um, you'll get put onto the top of the priority list because it's a no-fault eviction. It's not like I, I've done anything yeah. wrong. You'll go on the top of the priority list but and you'll be classed as, um, as potentially homeless at the end of this um, period. Um, and then you'll have to go into temporary accommodation and then we'll find you somewhere to live. It's the process. It's the way it has to work. But you could be in temporary accommodation for a long time. And on average, people... Are, that time was still sort of 18 months in temporary accommodation yeah i just couldn't believe it i couldn't believe one the state of the the system and then two that i was back in this position again um what pissed me off was literally five six houses down there was a, a housing association house that was empty being done up new carpets and stuff being put in um so i said to her, well there's a house there empty can can we have that um, no, no, it's got to go. You've got to wait till it goes on the website. Then you've got to bid on it, and then we we decide who gets it. I said, well, it's not on the website. All houses go on the website when they're available. Said, but that one's not. It's empty, and I know it's empty, but it's not on the website. And all I kept getting was all houses will go on the website when they're available. I said, well, is anyone moving into it? No, there's nobody moving into it. Just keep your eye on the website. It'll go on. Right, okay. Two weeks later, family are moving into it. <laughs> and we knew who they were and they worked for the housing association <laughs> so and they already had a housing association house so what they'd done is they'd just basically got an upgrade it was yeah. like they worked there and spoke to somebody not what you know it's who you know yeah, and they've got themselves see. a bit of an upgrade so yeah we were back in the same situation um, and this time it was a week before we, we'd, we'd had to stretch it out because we couldn't find anywhere and we were striving to save the money um, we'd got a week before the bailiffs were due to come and turf us out and we'd have been homeless at that point. Um, and it was a it was a family family friend who came to us and said, Look, there's there's some money. Go and get yourself sorted. I can't see I can't see you all being yeah. turfed out. Go get yourself somewhere and we'll we'll sort a, a repayment out whenever suits you. Just sort go sort your shit out. 
again, that was another thank, thank yeah, you, thank God you moment. Um, and yeah, that that was the kind of the start of it. But I, to go back to what you were talking about earlier, had I not built my mental resilience back when I was in the police and gone through all that shit, that would have finished me off. That whole yeah. those two periods of of being literally a week away from from homelessness and in a in a bed. Hello. You're at the adverts, so don't turn off. Don't turn off, because I've got some good stuff for you. First up, I'm going to talk about our sponsors. Kent CBD is our first sponsor. Now, CBD oil, as you know, has tremendous benefits, especially within mental health and physical health. Personally, I use it to help with my anxiety and my depression, but not only that, I also use it to help with the aches and pains of life in my joints, especially my ankles and my knees. Um, but yeah, without CBD oil, I would have still been on my antidepressant tablets, which I'm no longer on. So, you know, every cloud. And what we're going to do here at Granite Zero is we're going to give you 10% off everything from oil, muscle rub, jellies, bath salts, the lot. Yeah? Make sure you get in there. www.kentcbd.org. Put in the promo code Granite Zero and get yourself 10% off. You are welcome. But also, if you're like me and you love a nice cup of coffee. Now, for me, I only drink one coffee and that's Green Beret coffee. Now, I don't only drink it because it's out of this world fucking coffee. Roast to order grinded to whatever specific grind you want but not only that it's veteran owned and veteran run which you know hits me right in the feels so make sure you check it out green beret coffee get yourself a nice cup of coffee i drink it dark just like my soul incredible stuff incredible stuff and what i'm going to give for you i'm going to give you 10 percent off so once you get to the checkout once you've got all your coffee your products your apparel whatever you need Get to the checkout and put in the promo code GZPODCAST10 and get yourself 10% off, courtesy of the Granite Zero Podcast. You are welcome. Now, that's enough of me talking about this stuff. Back to the regular scheduled show. Check it out! And he's back. <laughs> I caught me off guard, that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I like to spice things up every now and then. <laughs> I almost I, I was almost still talking to, away before I realised. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost had to burn down the shed. Found so, a big spider. Oh it's the biggest spider. <laughs> and the scariest thing is it was there, like directly in my eye line, behind the, the behind the Mac. And I went over to check it out because it was it looked the size of my hand. It was that big. <laughs> and I've gone over there, and it's not there anymore. I'll keep my eye out. I'll, I'll watch the screen. If it so, comes up behind you, I'll let you if know. You hear, if you hear a sudden <laughs> scream and a Tomo-shaped hole through the wall behind me, you know that it's come back. You can't be scared of spiders. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, they're horrible. They're not, they're not natural. They're aliens just like octopus. Oh, don't get me sat an octopus. Uh, <laughs> unreal. They are unreal creatures. I can't get my head around those things. Spiders. I don't mind spiders. You, you, 
Right. You can come here and Black. protect me from these spiders. <laughs> flies do my fucking nothing at this time of year. So oh, if flies. I see a spider, yeah. I tend to just leave a spider because well, you're doing the job. <laughs> I like to leave the spiders to do yeah, the same as you to do their job. If if they leave me alone, I'm all right. But don't come near me. <laughs> but the girls, fucking hell. They, they, I think they would let me burn the house down. I think if, <laughs> if it was anywhere near. We had one in the when we had the pub. We got a screech from the kitchen once and went in and what's going on. We got a lot of uh, out here in the sticks. You get a lot of wolf spiders. Um, oh, like great big, fucking dirty hairy spiders. Yeah. Um, and it was that big. Couldn't even get a pint glass over it to throw it out because its legs Jesus. were that big. And, I thought, oh, give it here, I'll pick it up. And I picked it up, and it sort of hooked over the end of my thumb. Um, it kind of like, its legs curled around my thumb, and it covered my thumb. Fuck me, that's a big guy. And you can see its fangs at the front, and it just lifted its fangs up and sunk it into the tip of my thumb. Now, they're not poisonous or anything, but it fucking hurts. Like getting <laughs> yeah. two thorns shoved into the tip of your thumb. I think the first and last time I've stepped on a spider deliberately, I was like, you yeah. bastard. But it fucking hurts. How fucking dare they're, you? They're, they're big things. Uh, wolf spiders. Yeah, I can. I can see people being scared of them. Yeah, the, but... uh, the the worst. The worst one that I've seen and had dealings with was the camel spider in oh, in Iraq. I've heard, heard about them. Oh, there, there's a few myths about them that I believe. Obviously, yeah. that they they <laughs> inject you with anesthesia and then eat your face and stuff like that. <laughs> But no word of a lie, I was on patrol and I was in full kit and I saw it and I thought, I'm going to fucking have this bastard. <laughs> so I basically tried to jump on it and this thing turned round and basically laughed at me and then chased me <laughs> and then <laughs> fucking rapid. It chased me and I was like, oh, I've got, I got full kit on. I've even got, I got the rifle. <laughs> I, got, I could have shot it. I'd probably miss. But... Contact. Yeah. Contact front. What is it? Camel spider. <laughs> Would have been fun. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard stories. I've seen, you've got all these pictures on social media, haven't you, of camel spiders? And they're, yeah, they're, they're like, they are horrible. They're fucking horrible. Ugly looking bastards. Yeah, we did yeah, make two of them. Octopus, they're strange. What's that? Octopus, they're strange. Yeah. They're t- tell me they're not an alien. It is an alien. Yeah, yeah. They've got to be. The way it camouflages, the way it can change its... Instantly as well. You know, yeah, like you've got a chameleon. But, that but it's not just the... It's not just the colour. It's all the like the texture of it. The shapes, yeah, yeah, yeah. One minute they're smooth and slimy. Next minute they look like a rock. They can fit into any space. They can... Oh, they're horrible. They, they... And so and intelligent. Like four brains or something as well. Yeah, yeah. Four brains. Really intelligent. <laughs> Have you seen that Netflix documentary, My Octopus my, Friend or something? My stuff? Friend the Octopus. I haven't, like but it's on my list to watch. Definitely. It's worth watching. It, it won't clear anything up for you. You'll, you'll come away from that going, yeah, they're still fucking freaky. but Fucking alien. Yeah. But yeah, we digress. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Homelessness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, I don't want to sort of over-egg the pudding here, but it wasn't, you know, I've never lived on the streets. and that. It was a week away from being declared homeless, but yeah. it was the closest I'd ever like to come, and it was a glimpse into the suffering and the stress that thousands of families across the country are still going into to this day, because social housing is still an absolute sham. Um, yeah, definitely. And 
yeah, it really, really made me appreciate, reinforced sort of that mindset that I'd had, that, that I developed at the time of being grateful for everything you've got. And, you know, there's a, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but there's a quote I like to remind myself of, you know, to make yourself richer, make your wants fewer. Um, but the less you want, the richer you'll feel. And yeah, yeah. that's kind of the mindset I developed. And um, that period of my life certainly reinforced that because to go from somebody who was earning over 30k a year in the police and the career of his of his childhood dreams to suffering with uh, you know with burnout and and uh, clinical depression, running my own business and finally thinking things were on the up to then being a week away from homelessness on two occasions a, a year apart yeah um yeah it was it was fucked up and i do think had i not built all the resilience and done all taken all the steps i've taken to as i like to say kick depression in the bollocks a couple of years previously i'd have that to finish me off because yeah i bet it it's horrible and you can horrible, kind of see horrible. why so many do when they've been up there and then on yeah. the streets yeah, I like to think, you know, I can't, again, can't remember who says it. My head's full of all these sayings and quotes that I've read over yeah, the years that have really sort of helped me. But, um, you know, rock bottom is the best foundation to build your, to build your life upon. Um, and I, I live by that. When you've been at rock bottom, rock bottom's different to everybody, you know. It's not yeah, yeah. a location. Everybody feels they're at rock bottom in different ways. Um, I certainly felt like I was at rock bottom at the times when I was suicidal. Um, and it just gives you that a solid foundation to reevaluate um, exactly. and, and appreciate things. You smashed the nail on the head again there as well, just by a slight bit turn of phrase. Everybody's rock bottom is different. Yeah. And that's what yeah. a lot of people don't realise as well. It's like, and when you're when you're going through it as well, when I was first going through all my shit, and I thought, well, there's people worse off than me. Yeah, I can't I can't feel like this because there's people worse off than me. Yeah, to line up with ourselves. To be it? fair, in comparison, you look at things. Um, I own my own house, so. You know, I've got that foundation. Um, I was in a decent job. So in my head, I was like, why the fuck am I so down on myself? Why do I feel like a piece yeah. of shit day in and day out? Why do I feel like the girls and my wife would be better off if I wasn't here? Why am I feeling like that? And a lot of people have asked me why the podcast is called Granite Zero. A lot of people are like, it's an unusual name for a a podcast and, and things like that and it and it's basically got is it's a double meaning without me even realizing and uh granite zero was the call sign i used predominantly on my final tour of um tour of duty uh granite zero being basically the the command element i was on the radios calling it in and every day it would be charlie charlie one this is granite zero and we'd mm. and we'd crack on um and it wasn't until I started the podcast and really looked into myself and found a deeper meaning for it. And obviously, granite being a rock mm. and then zero being the bottom, I was at rock bottom and I was like, I never even noticed it. Yeah, I like it. And I was like, that that has brought a lot more meaning to 
the name than I ever even managed, even a managed, managed. In money, I can't even get the word out now. Fucking hell, I haven't done that in years. I haven't done that God, in like, a couple of years. Oh, my lucky. brother's gonna love that one. Imagine is what I was trying to say. <laughs> Fucking hell, I've done it again. My wife's gonna love that clip. I'm gonna snip that clip. That that can <laughs> all deep and meaningful when I fucked it up with my dyslexic mind. <laughs> But you guys get my meaning. <laughs> no, I like, I like that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. But it's right. It's one thing that's that pisses me off when it comes to mental health. Not just men's mental health, but men. I think men are worse for it. Oh yeah, it's, we are. It's, um, this this comparing, comparing your depression or yeah. well, why do I feel depressed? Well, I shouldn't feel like this because so and so's, you know. Johnny down the road, he's got this going on and he's not depressed. I shouldn't feel depressed. Well, it doesn't fucking matter. Everybody's different. Everybody yeah. experiences life. Everybody's everybody's perspective, uh, view of the world is different. Um, so, yeah, your rock bottom is different. Your depression is different. But there's a lot online of people like just comparing depression. It's like they're trying yeah. to out-depress each, out yeah. each other sometimes. I, I had it when I, I... Obviously, everybody knows that listens. I had a lot of shit when I first started the podcast because I was talking about why I felt shit. And mm. it was, why do you feel like that? You did, you you weren't in con- constant contacts like the Paris and the Marines were. You you didn't do. It. I was like, when does that ever mattered? Doesn't do that. Exactly. And and it's like, you, so a few people have said that like one of our close friends I mentioned in the in the other one lost his legs, um, mm. in an IED, and they were like, well, he's all right. I went. Yeah, but he doesn't remember it. Like he, he didn't. I've I've spoke. I've had him on the podcast a couple of times. I went, "How did you feel?" And he went, "Well, I didn't remember it. I woke. I was blown up and woke up. So it's like nothing really happened." He went, "But yeah, there was obviously moments when I had to. He had to choose to have one taken off. Um, the other one was pretty much gone, I believe. But he was like, "Yeah, we had a few bad moments, but." I don't remember the incident. It's like he was like the other lads that worked on me and got me onto the heli and things like that. They're the ones that are going to suffer. Mm. I was like, yeah, I didn't really think of that. Didn't think of that. It's like, yeah, but you do. You get people all the time. I get it when you know when I was when I went back to the to the job um, when I was in the police and people were like, what have you got to be depressed about? What have you got to suffer with your mental health about? Um, it wasn't until years later. Again, another quote coming here. Um, it's not what happens to you that matters, but how you respond. Uh, um, and I, th- I think that I bastardised it a little bit. That's not a direct quote, but it was Marcus Aurelius, uh, Roman Emperor, one of my favourites. So I, like, I love to read his stuff because um, it's just so relatable. Stoic philosophies, something that's got me through the, the last few years. But, um, but, you know, I wasn't in the armed forces, but even in the police, in, in comparison, you'd think people could sit there and go, what have you got to be? to suffer with uh, any form of PTSD or stress or depression over being a police officer. You want to try being in the military. And I've heard those sorts of comments. Yeah, that's another but thing. The police... Yeah, before you carry on, that's another thing that fucks me off as well, is veterans and, and serving members of the military think they've got the monopoly on PTSD. Yeah. It's like, no, other people can fucking get it, mate. Yeah. You don't even have to go through anything that traumatic to, to experience it. But what I found is it's not the things that happened to me. So, you know, I, I lost a, a very close colleague who I joined up with. She was shot and killed. Um, I've had, I've looked down the barrel of guns. I've had guns pointed at me. I've been attacked with knives. I was 
doused in petrol and locked in a kitchen trying to negotiate this guy down from up here to down here and not not flick his lighter and yeah. all these sorts of shit that happened to me within the course of my career that I could go well it's those reasons that's why I'm, I was fucked up that's why I was depressed but it isn't it's because I didn't talk about it yeah. I'd had, I had I had nobody to talk to it it's, um, to talk to about it yeah it's the release of the stress yeah and if you so don't it's not what happened to me it's yeah. it's how I responded to what happened to me so it was very much right onto the next job right go get your uniform clean you know, doused in petrol and genuinely thought I was going to go up and fucking smoke and I was dead so right go get your back to the locker room get your, get your uniform yeah. changed back out on the road colleagues being shot and killed you're so all right yeah right chin comparisons up. that you can like, I've had it confirming or potentially confirming on a on an IED um rocket attacks all that sort of yeah. stuff and it and one of the if big you don't things get a chance to offload yeah one of the big you, things you don't have chance to I've always said about and obviously the paras and the marines and other infantry units do get in daily firefights and and things like that but you could also have that as that could be a release of some of that stress. I know that sounds bonkers to some people. But every day that we went out on patrol could be the day that, well, it could be the day you don't come home. You have to yeah, put yeah. that in your head, but also forget about that as well. You have to be constantly switched on from day one that when you arrive in theatre to day whatever it is when you leave. You're constantly under stress you you're on stress it's hyper hyper vigilance isn't it yeah you're and then, for, you, for you guys out you, there we, just... we 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 don't really realize that and i never really realized that until i left and then it was though i sort of pardon this sort of military term i e-purged myself and got rid of it all just sort of flooded and i was like, oh fucking what has happened here because when when you when you're in tour you're, you're going through it you have a day, day and a half decompression when you leave mm. to decompress. They basically then send you off into normality. They go, right, you can go on leave now. You haven't decompressed. You haven't had talks with the squadron if there is a therapist or anything like that. They just basically go, there you go, be normal. And they wonder why squaddies, when they get home from theatre, just go out and fight people. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, they're, they're, they're either trying to get that adrenaline buzz or they've got this built up stress that, mm. that any people think it's thing, like a switch that can just yeah, switch on and off just, when and, <laughs> and I've said this on a very long time ago I think the episode was we're not normal because we're not we're told that we're killers from mm. the day we start especially infantry soldiers now you're a killer what makes the grass grow blood 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 and you're there shouting kill 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 you're trying to kill and maim the target and yeah. then and then they expect you to be normal when you leave <laughs> yeah can you be nice on the last weekend though? <laughs> it's yeah. like we're right you get you go through your resettlement but there's no adjustment into civ civilian life there's no adjustment is basically you know what? i've got I've got a mate who's a police dog handler and he, he uses a similar comparison about his police dog. He said that, you know, the yeah. members of the public think a police dog's just a police dog when he's when he's on duty. And yeah. so when he's walking the dog, they're like, oh, can I plus it? Like, he'll take your fucking head off if you come he, he will, He's going to fucking eat you. He will eat you. Yeah. Or you get dirty looks when he's off duty and he's walking his dog and the dog goes, roo, 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 roo. Because, yeah, people just think, oh, God, look at that aggressive dog. No, he's a police dog. And he, he, <laughs> they don't just switch don't just switch off. Same as, you know, a soldier doesn't just 
go to war and then switch it off when he gets off the plane at this side and go, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, lands in the UK, we're all okay. <laughs> it's yeah. like the amount of times I caught myself like parking up at my miss when she used to work at her old place, parking up there, and I'd get out and I'd walk around the car and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> There's definitely, why am I doing my fives and twenties in fucking a car park in yeah. my next to my house? It's ridiculous. But we had a period where, when I was on the, the, the uh, organised crime team, we had one of the, the the sort of most wanted, most sought after, um, I call it I'll call them a gangster. Let's just for for the sake of it, one of the local gangsters had um, planted a lump on somebody on a police officer's car to track him and trace him home. Yeah. Um, and we got told, right, you've got to start checking your vehicles on a regular basis. I went through a period of that, like going out to my car park. Yeah. The, my car was par- always parked it away from my house. Getting out and going, getting down, checking the wheel arches and stuff. I thought people are going to wonder what the fuck I'm, I'm doing here. I think I'm yeah. going to get locked up for trying to nick my own car. Yeah, but <laughs> it's also crazy, isn't it? Because a lot of people, a lot of police officers and obviously service people, during the uh, during the troubles in Northern Ireland, they they literally would have to do that. Yeah, that's, that's still technically still have to, yeah. yeah, they still have to do it. It's I wouldn't do it now. Well. Yeah, I think they do. It's it's. I've seen a rise. I think I remember yeah. reading something not so long ago. There's been a rise in attacks against police officers. But, um, but yeah. So it's 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 not. It's not what happens to you. It's how you deal with it. And if you've got nobody to open up to, nobody to talk to, like you could. For me, you couldn't open up to each other really. In the police, it was just chin up and get on with it. I couldn't come home and say, "My missus, oh, I was doused in petrol and early set on fire today." But yeah. she never let me go back to work. Yeah. Um, there was times when you know, some of the especially when it, anything involving kiddies, I'd come home, two little kids, and there's times I would sit in my car and cry before I went in the house because mm. I just, oh, there was nowhere that, else yeah. to let it out. Yeah. Um, that that generally reminds me of a, a you've probably seen it, End of Watch with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I've it's seen that, It's filmed yeah. with, uh, with like, as he was doing it and things like that, and there's a scene where he goes into like a crack, crack den mm. and the two kids are taped up in the clo- in the in the closet. Fucking American, yeah, yeah. in the cupboard, <laughs> while the parents are getting high, and it's like, oh, I, I was like, yeah, how he restrained himself in that. I know it's not real, mm. but obviously that does happen, and it's like, how have you yeah. restrained yourself? Oh, yeah. Why we I give so much props to the to the police because even even down to these like fucking annoying auditor people videos on like mm. TikTok and they're starting oh, to yeah. and I'm like what? he's doing his fucking job leave him alone yeah. fucking bellend remember raiding one house um, on a firearms warrant and we found um, a fully loaded pistol and a grenade in a shoebox under his daughter's cot and that night I'm, I'm fucking I was like are you for fucking real and he was just so blase I said, oh, well, she, she can't even walk or crawl yet so the chances of her getting her hands on that is slim to none and I'm like that's not the fucking point, mate. Put a grenade. Any places to hide, to hide your shooter. <laughs> Don't put it under your daughter's cot. Because he thought, oh, like an idiot. If the police raid your house, they're not allowed to search kids' bedrooms. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> World's dumbest criminal, right there. But Fuck yeah, me. shit like that pissed me off. And then you know I'd have to deal with a, a two-year-old who'd been been killed and deal with that body. I remember going home that night. My daughter was the same age at the time. Uh, and my missus was in bed and was going to her, her bedside that night and then sitting there crying. 
but nobody to actually vent to and open up to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that is the key for anyone that's still in the fight. I don't, I'm, I don't know if it's changed. I don't really keep in contact with anybody that's still in yeah, the job. Same. But um, if it hasn't changed, then it needs to. People, officers need people to open up to and to speak to Definitely. after shift. So, you know, the debrief, debrief's back. And it's also, well. It also goes down to, even if they say, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, they're not. You, you need to bring them in anyway. Yeah, because it, it it might be you might genuinely be fine. There's times when I've gone through shit like that. Like, yeah, yeah, and you shrug it off, macho bravado. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm a man, I'm fine. But it's not. It's still. It's all it's done is you've you've shoved it in a in a to use the word you've just used. You're shoving it in a closet, <laughs> and it's yeah, uh... <laughs> apparently closet. I've been talking, watching YouTube with my kids too much. That is. <laughs> you shove yeah. it. You shove it in a cupboard in the back of your mind, and then it will come out at some point. And usually. <laughs> I found it all comes out together in, in one big go and you, you need help so yeah definitely and it also go, it also goes to to your spouse as well like yeah the worst one for for my missus I think was when I was out in Kandahar or well it could have been a few it could have been a few different times really but one that really sticks out in my head I was literally on the phone to her and I was on um, IRT the quick reaction team and I was sat on the phone having a normal conversation and I hear the the dreaded fucking rocket alarm. And I'm like, fuck. Well, I don't say fuck because I knew it was coming in. And she's like, why have you gone quiet? And I'm like, oh, nothing, oh, nothing. And she's like, what's that noise? And I'm like, what noise? Next thing I know, my corporal's run in, banging on the door, and he's like, Tomo, get your kit, we gotta go. No, no, no. And she's like, What's going on? I went, Go, go. I put the phone down. And she's like, But then, because of that incident, and then another incident over in um, Helmand, they call op minimized. So someone's obviously been really hurt or, um, or worst case, dead. And they cut yeah. all communications until the family's been notified. So I couldn't ah, phone right. her for another three, four days. Oh, fucking hell. So I've said to her, got to go by. And then there's no communications, no internet, no phone, no nothing. And yeah, when I finally hard, managed to Jesus. get back to her, she was like, oh, thank God. I thought something really bad had happened. And I was like, no, nah, that's all right. It was just a rocket attack. She's like, <laughs> yeah, you don't realise. <laughs> she's always said the same. She goes, why are you so blasé about a rocket attack? I went, well, if it... If it if it hits, I'm dead. So, and she's like, "You can't be that blasé about." It. I went, "Well, I can because you can't stop it, I suppose, can you?" Um, yeah, it's funny because the the lads that go out on the ground regularly, you can see the difference. So we will go onto camp and go for go for our scran and whatnot. And if the alarm goes off, we're the only ones still stood up. All the ones that work on camp hit the deck. They put their body armor on and helmet. Which probably could, if they were shrapnel and things like that, could probably save their lives. But we're like, if it's the tent, we're fucked. So <laughs> I'm just going to skip the queue and start nicking some extra sausages and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, the the first it's rocket attack. Oh, I did shit my pants. I'm not gonna lie. Hid I'm under hid under the table. I was fucking yeah, proper shit it. But by, by the fucking. 60th or whatever we had by the end of the three tours I did it was just fucking part and parcel of the day desensitised to it yeah definitely but fucking 
<laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Because I fucking miss all that. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's the only time when when I watch. I mean, I very very rarely watch them. Um, you know these police programs on TV. Line of Duty, mate. The, the misses. Oh, I love Line of Duty. The, the dramas and stuff I love, but the, the real life stuff, the cops with cameras, that kind of shit. I won't watch it because, especially a lot of them are filmed in West Yorkshire, and I, I know quite a lot of the people on it. But um, my missus loves them. And if I sit there, when it gets really tasty, that's when I'm like, oh god, I wish I was back in the job. Yeah. But then I snap out of it. But in fact, I was at a gig quite recently, and I, I bumped into a. a all, all this gig, I'm looking at this guy, I think, I fucking know you. And I, my mind instantly, my mind instantly goes to, have I ever locked him up? Oh, well, yeah. Shit, he's oh, I locked him up, he's yeah. eyeballing me, I'm eyeballing him. And at the end, he comes up and goes, you don't recognise me, do you? And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. He's going to get tasty. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not remember me? I worked with you, such and such, Nick. And, and he was an old colleague of mine that he'd, he'd gone great. He had a full beard and stuff now, so I didn't recognise him fully. But... Um, he, he's still in the job, and it's the first time I've spoken to anybody who's still in the job that I've worked with for a long time. And he was saying it, it's so shit. And when I speak to people it's like that, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, shit. Yeah, to be fair, it's very similar. I've got a, I've got a buddy of mine who's in the, in our what we've got a WhatsApp group of close friends that all went through basic training together and and whatnot, and he's still in. And I actually talked him out of quitting before I did, which is quite funny. Um, he was going. He was going to quit. I was always going to be a lifer up until my mm. eldest was born, and then I was like, "Oh, things have changed. I better reevaluate." And yeah, I I talked him out of it. I so I basically said, "What else are you going to do? You go stack shelves at Tesco?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I went, "You'll you'll hate that. Stay in. Do a bit more." He eventually got basically my dream job. Just saying, um, <laughs> which was uh, tack P. Uh, forward air controller calling in bombs and all that sort of stuff he he got all that and he's he's now up to um sergeant i believe and will probably keep going and yeah he said every now and then we're like oh how's it going because he helped do uh that stuff in africa and helping out over there and what we would just like say oh pretty tidy tours he's like nah mate it's still shit yeah but he's like i'm still every- waiting for the regiment to be disbanded but they haven't done it yet <laughs> Everybody who tried to talk me out of leaving, um, they they've all left themselves. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, just not through retirement either. It's through they've had enough of it. Sort of had enough. I think the yeah. first one, your eyes two, get two years after I left. They, your eyes get open. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, it's similar as well as when you see one person leave, it kind of opens the floodgates and you start, yeah. you know, everybody starts thinking about it and then they start exploring their options outside and think, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So, so yeah. what sort of stuff you, you, you're you doing now then? So you're obviously touring with the, the band doing the so game. The mu- the, yeah, the music's just a side hustle type weekend. It's, to be fair, the music's my, all the way through my, my struggle with men. I was going to say, is that your sort of release? My, yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's, that's my sort of therapy. And so going out gigging, and performing is my sort of blowout at the end of the week. I'll go out on a Friday and Saturday night and, and do a couple of gigs, and that's that's kind of my me time. Um, absolutely love it. And like I said in, in part one, I'm every single night I'll pick up my guitar and just play a few songs because it's it's kind of it's that's the way I unwind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of a side hustle. So for my main job now, I I work with people who are long term unemployed and either 
they've had a lifelong career and they've ended up being made redundant or something, or they've been on universal credits for God knows how long they don't know how to, they're just struggling to find themselves a job. And I coach them and I help them prepare for interviews. I manage a team of coaches. Oh, yeah. we, we help them all, we help them get back into work um, for whatever, whatever the barriers are. So a lot of it's mental health. I'd say 80 odd percent of, the, of, of our sort of people we work with have got mental health barriers where, depression and anxiety and stuff yeah, really stuff, holding them back um but yeah we, we 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 coach them in how how to write a cv how to look for work how to prepare for interviews we find a work we, we prepare them before their interview and make sure that they're, they're set up for it and we, we get them into work i love it it's um especially after what i went through with that sort of short period of, of facing homelessness and unemployment yeah. and and not knowing where I wanted to go myself and how to find my transferable skills and how to put yeah. them into other industries. And that is a transferable yeah. skill. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't realise that if you've gone through what you've gone through, what I've gone through, what other people on the show that have suffered with different sorts of mental health problems, you, you are just as qualified to help people through struggles because you've been it's, through it this is it. Your, yeah, what, what I, works I, I, for you may work for them it might not but you've also that's it and i think you've hit the nail on the head there that's the key thing is there's a lot of people online these days saying all you need to do to beat mental health and to improve your mental health is do this too and the key thing is what works for one person won't work won't necessarily work for the yeah, other. Yeah. there's no magic pill there's no one size fits all it's a bit like, it's a bit like know... you saying to me tomo mate you just gotta pick up a guitar and start I can't play <laughs> yeah, exactly. a fucking musical instrument. It won't work. I'll just get more yeah. annoyed. <laughs> well, but that's it. it. It's exactly right. I know what worked for me. I've got clear steps. And like I say, I'm trying to write a book, trying to put a book together as to what I did to kick depression in the bollocks. And I know what worked for me. I know it works for other people because I've, I've spoke to other people. Yeah. They've tried what I've done and it's worked. But it won't work for everyone. And I get people now when I post stuff on social media, they'll say, oh, it's not that easy, is it? It's not as simple as just doing that. It's not, it's, no, it's not as simple as just doing that. There's no one thing that's going to fix no, no, you exactly. your mental health. It's a series it's not, of things. It's not going to just together. cure you either because you, no. you can get to one stage. It's an then, ongoing thing. And then you can fucking fall off and it never, the again. It's it, never cured. It never goes away. Being being happy and being positive doesn't mean you never suffer bad things. doesn't mean yeah, you, exactly. you're never unhappy or angry. It just means that when the tough times come, you're more resilient. You know you're going to be able to deal with it better, um, and that's that's the key. Is is just accepting that it could come back. And I, I have had periods since you know I, I I wouldn't say I've got my depression fully under control. I've had periods where I'm like I can feel it, mm -hmm. but now I've got the knowledge and the wisdom of being there before. I can go. I know why I'm feeling like this because I've not been eating right. I've not been exercising. I've not been drinking enough water. Or um, I'm run down, I'm not getting enough sleep and, and so things are getting to me rather than me using my logical brain and so I know why now and I can fix it pretty quickly whereas before all this shit was coming onto me and like the stress levels were getting high and I didn't know how to fix it or why it was happening and that's that's where people need to just find something that works for you. There's, you like you said, people like yourself, people like me, people like the other people you've had in your podcast and that. They know what works for them, and I think we've got kind of a moral duty to leave a map or a blueprint behind yeah. for other people to follow. And if I they agree. try it and it works, brilliant. If it only if it helps just one person, that's yeah. all that matters. Well, I I did a little conversation with somebody the other day via um, Instagram. I won't name them, obviously. There, her husband is a, a family friend, um, or a close friend of mine, should I say? Um, 
and and they suffer with with whatever issue. And all I did was just asked his permission first. I didn't want to just message just <laughs> just in case. So I was like, <laughs> um, if you if you're ever struggling, obviously I've been through exact not exactly the same, but the similar sort of um, mental health issues as what you're going through. I know mm-hmm. what can happen and what can happen between you and your partner. Don't feel like it's all your fault and don't think that it's all his mm. fault. It's something that you need to work yeah. out. And um, we went through it. And my missus was like, why, why did you get involved? I was like, because I feel like I can help. If I can help, mm. then I'll help. She's like, oh, yeah. yeah. She was like, fair enough. I was like, well, you it's would do there, it for you, anyone. And if you I make that offer, yeah. if you make that offer and they choose to take you up on it, brilliant. Yeah. And if you can help in any way and, you know, it's not a case of going in and say, right, listen yeah. up, you need to do this, <laughs> yeah. you need to do that, you need to do that. It's right, a case I'll saying, stop you there. <laughs> this is what Stand for attention. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a case of, right, when I was experiencing that, this is what worked for me. Um, and if they want to try it, they try it. And if they, if they don't, they don't. But, yeah, I, I do think people have got to bear that in mind. That if they latch on to one of these online coaches or gurus or even somebody like like us and if they if they come to somebody for advice they've got to bear in mind that that's not necessarily going to be the be all and end all it's not necessarily going to be the the magic fix for your mental health but try it don't dismiss it i've got somebody recently golden pony of mental health because yeah as we've said throughout both parts everybody's mental health is different yeah, I'm. A, I'm a firm believer. Talking helps, and I'm, you know, I've, I've got the the Andy's Man Talk bracelet on here, and I'm, I'm Andy's Man Club, big big sort of support of the Andy's Man Club, and I think it's a really, really, it's a much needed um, thing to have in society to give men that option to go along and talk to other like-minded men and men in similar situations. But as I found out recently, with somebody who has, has gone through a, a suicidal period and, and tried to end his own life, and I reached out to him and suggested look I'm going to be going to an Andy's Man Club on this day and time do you want to jump in the car and I'll take you with me and nah it doesn't work for me I'm not going to sit in a room full of men and, and talk about my feelings and it's, that's not what it's about and I explained what happens at an Andy's Man Club and how it works but he's still like nah thanks for the offer and I appreciate it and I'm, I'm you know, glad it worked for you but that's not for me and that's fine it's not for yeah. everybody Um, just the same as you know like you said playing the guitar isn't going to work for everyone going, yeah, for, going to the gym isn't going to work for everybody you know, there's still depressed athletes out there. There's still depressed yeah. musicians out there. Not not everything works for everybody. So it's a, it's a minefield. But for me, like I said before, I think the likes of yourself, myself and other people, if you've been through it, we've kind of got this moral obligation, I feel, to, to leave a map or a blueprint behind for other people to try and follow. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I think that is a perfect way to sort of finish off these two parts i think for me brilliant considering it's your first or now second podcast (laughs) it was it was a fantastic chat that was it was great great flow and i've enjoyed it man you've got a a lot of knowledge in in inside that ed and (laughs) and like you said leaving a blueprint can really help and yeah i really appreciate you giving me the time for you to to come on both these times 
I appreciate you asking me, man. It's it's good. It's it's kind of you know it's been a bit of therapy for myself, really, because one, it's been it's been just been good to have a chat with people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is someone who's <laughs> someone. So yeah, it's good good to have a chat with someone who I've never met before and stuff. But then equally, one the one barrier I need to get myself over is, is I want to do more video content. I want to perhaps oh, yeah. do a podcast because to to get a lot of, a lot more of the stuff that's up here out. To try and help other people, and I've always been a little bit nervous about doing it. And is it is a nerve wracking really, thing? This has really helped. Mm. When I first hit no, record, out, I didn't know what was going to happen, um, and I got a lot of shit back. But I felt so good after the first time I did it. I was like, I don't give a fuck what these people are saying. Um, although it, it did strike me down a bit later, after I sort of cooled down, and the next one came out, and I was still getting shit. And I was like, yeah, perhaps I should stop. It's mad though, because I can. But, yeah, I can get on the stage, get on the stage and sing. I can put videos all over the internet of me singing and playing my guitar, and you know, on my other Instagram account, I'm I'm posting regular of, of me singing and playing guitar. It doesn't bother me. I couldn't give a shit if people think it's crap or not. Yeah, but to sit and sit and talk to a camera, <laughs> and, <laughs> I can't do it, man. But no, this is this has been really really helpful for me. Um, well, and I've really enjoyed it. I'm glad, me, your I'm glad I popped your cherry. It's a privilege. <laughs> No, but Dave, genuinely, thank you very much for coming on. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, we'll be in touch, and we'll 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 keep the uh, the wheels turning. Yeah, and absolutely. I'll, and I'll work um, better on my uh, my my uh, speech because you know, for some reason, I make up words in the middle of podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, what was it? Imagine, Imagine wasn't it? Imagine. <laughs> Imagine what you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good luck. No, with that cheers spider. for your time, and I'll and I'll catch you again soon. Take it easy. Cheers, mate. Yeah.